This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Welcome to the show. I'm John Roseman, your host, and for those of you who may not have been Privileged listeners before, said with tongue-in-cheek, of course, uh, I am a family psychologist. I uh, hold a license from the North Carolina Psychology Board, and as I am fond of saying, truly fond, the North Carolina Psychology Board regrets the day they ever, in 1979, gave me a license because I have proven to be a constant thorn in their side, and intentionally, because I do not believe in psychology, I think it is a bogus science, and no one has yet to prove that any psychological therapy works at anything close to a reliable level. The show is called Because I Said So, because we're all about traditional parenting, which uh, is practiced very, very little and very infrequently in this country today because in 1965, with the publication of a book titled Between Parent and Child by a Manhattan psychologist named Chaim, and that is the way you pronounce it, Gennot, we began listening to people with capital letters after their names tell us how to raise kids. We stopped listening to our children's grandparents and great-grandparents, elders in our extended families, churches, and communities, and instead began to professionalize the raising of children. And five years later, it became known as parenting, a word that is in fact symptomatic of the professionalization of parenting in this country, And since we began listening to these professional parenting pundits, I love alliteration, the mental health of children has been in a state of free fall. The academic achievement level of children has been in a state of free fall. There is nothing good that can be pointed to that is the result of the psychological parenting revolution and everything bad, everything bad. And so I am a knight in shining armor, trying to keep the traditional parenting flame alive, and uh, thus the show, Because I Said So. And that is a phrase, forward phrase, that is associated with traditional parenting, and uh, that is one reason that I call the show Because I Said So, and the other reason is Because I Said So. And so with that... We will march ahead. If you want to find out more about me, my mission, my ministry, you can go to John Rosemond, J-O-H-N-R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D.com and uh, find out as much as you like or as much as I dare to reveal. So anyway, I was thinking the other day about why children don't just play outside anymore. Why don't they just uh, get home from school do their chores, change their clothes, go outside, get together in groups, and uh, figure out what they're going to do with their time anymore. 
And it's because children are micromanaged, today's kids, from the time they wake up in the morning until they go to sleep at night. Not all of them, as we will soon see, but all too many. Their lives are just completely planned, completely scheduled from morning to night, mom and dad uh, being, um, you know, your typical uh, modern parents in the new millennium uh, are... uh, are are just over scheduling, over planning, over my, over managing, micromanaging, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A few years ago, I spoke at a conference, and one of the other speakers was a guy named Dr. David Elkind, E L K I N D, and I knew of Dr. Elkind's work from the book The Hurried Child, which I had read and been highly impressed with. And if you're interested in getting that book, please get the 25th anniversary edition. That's the edition that you ought to get. And uh, I was even more impressed after the conference with Dr. Elkind's, the, the range of his erudition when it came to the subject of children and child rearing. And I thought, uh, correctly so, this guy and I are on the same page when it comes to kids. We're just seeing things from two somewhat different perspectives. He's looking at the micromanagement, the hurry up, we got to go parenting atmosphere that many kids are being raised in. And, and I'm, he had a very, and has a very traditional perspective. And I have a very traditional perspective. Dr. Elkind and I had dinner together, formed a relationship, and um, I have been promoting his books ever since, one of which is called The Power of Play, Learning What Comes Naturally. And what this book is all about is it's, it's a lament at one level of the fact that, as I said earlier, today's kids, they're not just allowed to go outside and play or, you know, go down to the basement and play and and uh, spend their discretionary time in that invaluable pursuit. Uh, in this book, Dr. Elkind talks about subjects that I talk about quite frequently as well, which I've mentioned before on this show and I've mentioned in this particular segment of the show the overmanaging, the overscheduling, the well-intentioned micromanagement, the fact that today's kids, uh, you know, their lives are stuffed full of after-school activities, these organized, adult-supervised, adult-managed programs. And again, the adults in question are very, very well-intentioned people. But what we don't realize is that childhood is disappearing. It's disappearing. And and Neil Postman, who was a brilliant social philosopher, wrote a book called The Disappearance of Childhood, which uh, was about this very same phenomenon, that traditional childhood, which had existed for hundreds, if not thousands of years, uh, kids just being allowed to, to enjoy a period of relative irresponsibility. I'm not, I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm talking about just irresponsibility, you know, not having a whole lot of responsibilities, just being able to play, being, ima- being able to imagine, being able to improvise, being able to experiment, being able to explore that childhood when Postman wrote the book in the 1970s was rapidly disappearing. And he was certainly prescient because 
that childhood has all but disappeared. And this is what David Elkind in his book, The Power of Play, is talking about. And uh, I can't recommend the book more highly to you listeners. You ought to get out there uh, to um, whatever local bookstore you uh, you shop at, and you ought to buy the book. You ought to order the book. Order the book off Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, wherever you uh, get your books from. And yes, that was my cell phone, which I have turned off so that it won't happen again. Anyway, so... Uh, I, you know, Dr. Elkine, Dr. David Elkine and I are uh, both warriors in this uh, effort to revive traditional parenting in America. And within that context, it was interesting to me that I received a, a letter, an email today from a father, no less. Now, the, the father in question, I don't think he'd mind if I said his name on the air, a fellow named James Maloney, and he must live in Buffalo because his email address indicates uh, that he probably is from Buffalo, New York. And he says, my wife and I have chosen to raise our children a bit differently than other parents in today's do-everything society. They are being raised to enjoy the art, and it is an art, of playing. We made the decision some years ago, in other words, he and his wife, that our children would hold off on outside activities until they were around nine or ten years of age. Of course, that has drawn many a look when other parents realize that our kids aren't in dance two nights a week, soccer, Girl Scouts, week-long camps interspersed throughout the year. Although I must say, Most looks are admiration as parents rattle off their busy schedules and how they have trouble getting the kids' homework done or don't sit down for dinner until 8.30 p.m. on some evenings. My wife and I smile and think to to ourselves that if they're that tired, imagine what the kids must feel like. So anyway, Mr. Maloney goes on to say, and, and by the way, there's a huge Irish population in Buffalo, New York. And uh, so, therefore, uh, I know that uh, uh, Mr. Maloney must be a member of that uh, exalted group of Buffalonians. Long ago, my wife extolled the virtues of kids being able to play. As she said to me, this is the only time in their lives when they won't have responsibilities, deadlines, and stress. Let's just let them enjoy it. Let's just let them play. Today, after-school activities involve homework, a family, dinner, and play, and not necessarily in that order, but certainly all three. To hear them say, sis, do you want to go down by the river as they run out the door to play brings a smile. By the way, the river is a stream about four feet wide with six inches of water on a good day. Doesn't matter to them. It brings times of building forts, moving rocks and stones to make ponds and walls, discoveries of all sorts of bugs and critters, some bringing screams and some laughs. When they are grown, they will someday revisit the river, as they call it, and laugh to themselves of how they used to think it was so big and remember the games they used to play. And we will also sit back and smile, remembering the times they played as children. You know, folks, I hate to tell you, but uh, nearly 100% of the After-school activities that your children are involved in will be meaningless and irrelevant to anything they are doing when they are 30 years old. The purpose of the last 13 minutes is to 
persuade those who have ears to hear to let children simply be children again the way they were in a not-so-long-ago time here in America. Folks, more about me at johnrosemond.com. I'm going to take a break. We'll be back in a few. Stay with us. back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm your host, John Roseman. The show is called Because I Said So. And the title reflects the fact that we're all about traditional, biblically-based parenting. One of the subjects that I've become fascinated with of late is the subject of memes. Memes. M-E-M-E-S. You can Google it but I'll tell you what it means. A meme is an assumption, an unspoken assumption that governs behavior, exerts a very strong influence on, at the very least, behavior in culture. And I have of late realized that one of the things that happened during the, in the course of the psychological parenting revolution that took place in America in the late 60s and early 70s is that the mental health community, psychologists, clinical social workers, child development specialists, those sorts of people, what they did was they mass-produced memes, parenting memes, that became embedded in the thought process, the collective thought process of parents in America. These memes have been exerting very strong influence on parent behavior ever since. And these memes, these postmodern psychological memes, uh, represent a parenting paradigm that is 180 degrees removed from the understandings that governed the raising of children prior to that time, prior to the 1960s, in other words. The reason that it's so easy for a person my age to see these differences is because we represent the last generation of American children to be raised um, according to very traditional understandings and according to biblical principle. And so we are simply, we stand back uh, amazed uh, to a great degree at uh, what we see going on in America's parenting culture today. These memes, uh, these postmodern psychological memes include children need a lot of attention, which of course they do not. The child should understand that it is his job to pay attention to his parents, not so much his parents' job to pay attention to him. Uh, one of the other mean, memes, parenting memes, that has exerted great influence on contemporary parenting culture is one that uh, I heard quite often when I was in undergraduate and graduate school as a psychology student, and that was children have a right to express their feelings. 
Now, I have to tell you, although I'm a member of the last generation of American children to be raised the old way, I'm also a member of the first generation of American children to grow up and decide that we were going to reject the old way and raise our children according to the new way. And so when I and other people of my age and generation heard children have a right to express their feelings, the implication, by the way, being that prior to the uh, the advent of uh, professionals, uh, professional experts that uh, promised to guide us properly in the parenting of children, that we toiled in the parenting dark ages, that parents didn't really know what they were doing. And uh, one example of that was that parents did not allow their children to express their feelings freely. Well, when People in my generation first heard that. The reaction was, oh, yes, that's so true. And in fact, it was very true that we were not allowed to express our feelings freely and for good reason. Uh, the reason being that children are in training and they are in training. They are being taught during this training pro-social citizenship principles. They are being character educated and it is antisocial, quite boorish, as my mother would have said, for a person to express his or her feelings freely. You simply don't do that in civilized circles. And so, yes, from a very early age, we were taught not to express our feelings freely. The mental health community in America in the 60s and early 70s, and they're still doing this, folks, they picked up on this. And remember, I'm a psychologist. I'm you know, licensed as a psychologist, I know exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to the subject. The mental health community picked up on this and just worked it to death. And so the implication, the further implication was that, that children's feelings are important and that it's very, very important that parents properly interpret a child's emotional output and properly respond to it. Well, let me tell you, to put this into context, what the Bible says about children's emotions. Now, in the Bible, the heart is represented as the organ of feeling, the organ of emotion. And remember that Jesus tells us that the heart produces evil. It is deceitful and produces evil. I believe that's Mark uh, chapter 7, verses 21-22. In the course of this description, Jesus uh, reels off a number of evils that the heart produces, the organ of feeling. If it dominates human behavior, it, it produces nothing but evil. The only way that it doesn't is if it is checked by a godly character. At the end of Jesus's list is the word foolishness, all manner of foolishness. Well, that relates right back to Proverbs 22.15, where we are told that foolishness is bound, and that is a very powerful word, bound. It's, it's a word that suggests almost imprisoned, inherent to the heart of the child. And the rod of discipline will drive it far from him, meaning the, the uh, forceful, but not necessarily physical, application of consistent, purposeful, 
parental authority will drive it far from him. We began in the 1960s to ascribe importance to what the Bible clearly identifies as foolishness or folly on the part of a child. And this has led us very, very astray in the rearing of children. One symptom of this astrayness, if you will, if that is even a word, but I'm sure you all understand what I'm talking about, is that parents today talk to their children about their feelings. Parents today believe that talking to children about feelings is a good thing. And parents today believe that issues, emotional issues that the child presents through outbursts of emotion uh, can be resolved through talking. Well, here's a fact, folks. This is a fact. It is not a theory. You have to be very, very discerning about talking to children about their feelings. Uh, at some point in this talking process, you are very likely to give validity to a feeling that is nothing but an expression of self-drama. In other words, feelings quite often are narcissistic expressions. And the content of a feeling on the part of a child can be translated thus, oh, poor pitiful me, that I am having to deal with whatever it is in my life. One example of what I'm talking about is children's fears. Parents will quite often bring to me uh, the, the problem of a child who is having a fear of one sort or another, an irrational, unfounded fear a fear of monsters under the bed or in the closet or something like that that causes the child to be afraid of getting into bed and going to sleep in the dark. It's inevitable that when I ask the parents, uh, what have you done about this? They will say, well, we have talked to him about it. Well, the fact of the matter is that the more in this situation, as I said before, that you talk to the child, the more you validate the fear. It's an ironic, paradoxical consequence of talking, but it is a consequence of talking to the child about his feelings in this particular situation and many others as well. And so then I will ask the parents, well, all this talking, has it helped? And almost invariably, the answer is either no, it hasn't helped at all, or actually, John, his fears have gotten worse. Right. Because you're giving validity to the fear. Instead of saying, after some degree of con you know, conversation, there are no monsters, uh, all children believe that there are monsters, uh, all of your friends or most of your friends believed at one point in time that there are monsters, uh, I believed it, your father believed it, and we're all alive today, nobody's been attacked by a monster, and we're not going to talk about this anymore because it's foolish to talk about it. Parents keep right on talking about it, explaining, trying to use logic with an illogical mind, the mind of a child, and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and the fear or the feeling, whatever the case may be, gets worse and worse and worse and worse. At some point in a conversation about feelings with a child, you have to say, Child of mine, I've said all I had to have to say. We've talked about all this before. I really don't have anything more to say about it, and we're not going to talk about it anymore. Said with 
a shrug of the shoulders, and great compassion for the struggle that the child has to go to through in order to discover that his emotion, in this case his fear, is not valid. It's a universal struggle, folks, and it ought not to be denied of children. Well, we're coming up on the end of another program. I enjoy thoroughly what I'm doing through American Family, through the opportunity that American Family Radio has graciously extended to me. Program again is Because I Said So. I'm John Roseman, psychologist, author, but a psychologist who doesn't believe in psychology, author, syndicated columnist, husband, father, grandfather. I'm glad you joined us for the show and hope you join us next week and every week, 5 o'clock Central Time on Saturdays. God bless you all and God bless your families. Take care.